Chapter Twenty Seven of Arizona Nights by Stephen Edward White. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Estrella. The honeymoon developed, and the necessary adjustments took place. The latter Senior Johnson had not foreseen, and yet, when the necessity for them arose, he acknowledged in them right and proper. Of course, you don't want to ride over to Circle Eye with us, he informed his confidant, Jed Parker. It's a long ride, and she ain't used to riding yet. Trouble is, I've been thinking of doing things with her just as if she was a man. Women are different. They likes different things. The second idea gradually overlaid the first in Senior Johnson's mind. Estrella showed little aptitude or interest in the rougher side of life. Her husband's statement as to her being still unused to riding was distinctly a euphemism. Estrella never arrived at the point of feeling safe on a horse. In time she gave up trying, and the sorrel drifted back to cow-punching. The range work she never understood. As a spectacle, it imposed itself on her interest for a week, but since she could discover no real and vital concern in the welfare of cows, soon the mere outward show became an old story. Estrella's sleek nature avoided instinctively all that interfered with bodily well-being. When she was cool and well-fed and not thirsty and surrounded by a proper degree of feminine daintiness, then she was ready to amuse herself. But she could not understand the desirability of those pleasures for which a certain price and discomfort must be paid. As for firearms, she confessed herself frankly afraid of them. That was the point at which her intimacy with them stopped. The natural level to which these waters fell is easily seen. Quite simply, the senior found that a wife does not enter fully into her husband's workaday life. The dreams he had dreamed did not come true. This was at first a disappointment to him, of course, but the disappointment did not last. Senior Johnson was a man of sense, and he easily modified his first scheme of married life. She'd get sick of it, not get sick of it he formulated his new philosophy. Now I got something to come back to, somebody to look forward to, and it's a woman. It ain't one of these darn gangle cowgirls. The great thing is to feel you belong to someone, and that someone nice and cool and fresh and pretty is waiting for you when you come in tired. It beats that other little old idea of mine slick as a gun barrel. So during this, the busy season of the range riding immediately before the great fall roundups, Senior Johnson rode abroad all day, and returned to his own hearth as many evenings of the week as he could. Estrella always saw him coming and stood in the doorway to greet him. He kicked off his spurs, washed and dusted himself, and spent the evening with his wife. He liked the sound of exactly that phrase, and was fond of repeating it to himself in a variety of connections. When I get in, I'll spend the evening with my wife. If I don't ride over to Circle I, I'll spend the evening with my wife, and so on. He had a good deal to tell her of the day's discoveries, the state of the range, or the condition of the cattle. To all of this she listened at least with patience. Senior Johnson, like most men, who have long delayed marriage, was self-centered without knowing it. His interest in his mate had to do with her personality rather than with her doings. "'What you do with yourself all day today?' he occasionally inquired. "'Oh, there's lots to do,' she would answer, a trifle listlessly, and this reply always seemed quite to satisfy his interest in the subject. Senior Johnson, with the curiously instant transformation often to be observed among the adventurous, settled luxuriously into the state of being a married man. Its smallest details gave him distinct and separate sensations of pleasure. I plumb likes it all, he said. I likes having interest in some fool geranium plant, and I likes worrying about the screen doors and all the rest of the plumb foolishness. It does me good. It feels like stretching legs in front of a good warm fire. The center, the compelling influence of this new state of affairs, was undoubtedly Estrella and yet it is equally to be doubted whether she stood for more than the suggestion. Senior Johnson conducted his entire life with reference to his wife. His waking hours were concerned only with the thought of her, his every act revolved in its orbit controlled by her influence. 
Nevertheless, she, as an individual human being, had little to do with it. Senior Johnson referred his life to a state of affairs he had himself invented, and which he called the married state, and to a woman whose attitude he had himself determined upon and whom he designated as his wife. The actual state of affairs, whatever it might be, he did not see, and the actual woman supplied merely the material medium necessary to the reality of his idea. Whether Estrella's eyes were interested aboard, bright or dull, alert or abstracted, contented or afraid, Senior Johnson could not have told you. He might have replied promptly enough that they were happy and loving. That is the way Senior Johnson conceived a wife's eyes. The routine of life then soon settled. After breakfast, the senior insisted that his wife accompany him on a short tour of inspection. A little passier, he called it, just to get set for the day. Then his horse was brought, and he rode away on whatever business called him. Like a true son of the alkali, he took no lunch with him, nor expected his horse to feed until his return. This was an hour before sunset. The evening passed as had been described. It was all very simple. When the business hung close to the ranch house, as in the Bronco Buston, rebranding of bought cattle, and the like, he was able to share his wife's day. Estrella conducted herself dreamily, with a slow smile for him when his actual presence insisted on her attention. She seemed much given to staring out over the desert. Senior Johnson, appreciatively, thought he could understand this. Again she gave much leisure to rocking back and forth, on the low wide veranda, her hands idle, her eyes vacant, her lips dumb. Susie O'Toole had early proved incompatible and had gone. A nice, contented, home sort of a woman, said Senior Johnson. One thing alone besides the deserts on which she never seemed tired of looking fascinated her. Whenever a beef was killed for the uses of the ranch, she commanded strips of the green skin. Then, like a child, she bound them and sewed them and nailed them to substances particularly susceptible to their constricting power. She choked the necks of green gourds. She indented the tender bark of cottonwood shoots. She expended an apparently exhaustless ingenuity on the fabrication of mechanical devices whose principle answered to the pulling of the drying rawhide, and always along the adobe fence could be seen a long row of potatoes bound in skin, some of them fresh and smooth and round, some sweating in the agony of squeezing, some wrinkled and dry and little, the last drops of life tortured out of them. Senior Johnson laughed good-humouredly at these toys, puzzled to explain their fascination for his wife. They're sure an amusing enough contraption, honey, said he. But what makes you stand out there in the hot sun staring at them that way? It's cooler on the porch. I don't know, said Estrella, helplessly turning her slow, vacant gaze on him. Suddenly she shivered in a strong physical revulsion. I don't know, she cried with passion. After they had been married about a month, Senior Johnson found it necessary to drive into Willets. How would you like to go, too, and buy some duds? he asked Estrella. Oh! she cried strangely. When? Day after tomorrow. The trip decided her entire attitude changed. The vacancy of her gaze lifted. Her movements quickened. She left off staring at the desert, and her rawhide toys were neglected. Before starting, Senior Johnson gave her a checkbook. He explained that there were no banks in Willets, but that Goodrich the storekeeper would honor her signature. Buy what you want to, honey, said he. Tear her wide open. I'm good for it. How much can I draw? she asked, smiling. As much as you want to, he replied with emphasis. Take care. She poised before him with the checkbook extended. I may draw. I might draw fifty thousand dollars. Not out of Goodrich, he grinned. You'd bust the game. But hold him up for the limit, anyway. He chuckled aloud, pleased at the rare bird-like coquetry of the woman. They drove to Willets. It took them two days to go and two days to return. 
Estrella went through the town in a cyclone burst of enthusiasm, saw everything, bought everything, exhausted everything in two hours. Willits was not a large place. On her return to the ranch, she sat down at once in the rocking chair on the veranda. Her hands fell into her lap. She stared out over the desert. Senor Johnson stole behind her, clumsy as a playful bear. His eyes followed the direction of hers to where a cloud shadow lay across the slope, heavy, palpable, untransparent, like a blotch of ink. "'Pretty, isn't it, honey?' said he. "'Glad to get back?' She smiled at him, her vacant, slow smile. "'Here's my checkbook,' she said. "'Put it away for me. I'm through with it.' "'I'll put it in my desk,' said he. "'It's in the left-hand cubbyhole,' he called from inside. "'Very well,' she replied. He stood in the doorway, looking fondly at her unconscious shoulders and the pose of her blonde head thrown against the high rocking chair. "'That's the sort of a woman, after all,' said Senior Johnson. "'No blame fuss about her.'" This is the end of chapter 27.